0: Welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here, and joining me is my friend from Pro Football Focus, Eric Eager. How are you, Eric?
1: I'm doing well. How about you?
0: Oh, I'm doing great, Eric. We're enjoying a good old-fashioned quarterback controversy, though I would add that it's not so much of a controversy within the Minnesota Vikings. I think where they stand is quite clear that they want Teddy Bridgewater to come back, especially based on Mike Zimmer's comments, but at least on Twitter.com, on the radio waves, and uh, maybe even somewhat on this podcast, depending on the guest, there is a controversy between Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater. So, Eric, my question for you, let's start big picture here. Statistically speaking, how good has Case Keenum been for the Minnesota Vikings this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if you if you ask about the job that he was signed to do, which is backup quarterback, he's played it about as well as you can, you know, um, in terms of just kind of, you know, until last week, taking care of the football a little bit, um, you know, winning games, you uh, you know, giving the best players on the other uh, on their team a chance to make plays, and Adam Thielen and, and Stephon Diggs, I think he's been great in that in that respect. I think when you start to broaden the question out and ask yourself, okay, if the Vikings are going to try to make a playoff run, especially in a season where you know Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are a little down, um, is he is you know is his play over the first you know nine games or so indicative of somebody that can take them on a Super Bowl run? I think you would have to say no.
0: Well, let me break down some of these numbers that people have been using uh, to talk about Case Keenum versus Teddy Bridgewater, because uh, this is the thing about quarterback stats, Eric. I don't believe they're real. They're fake. They're made up. Fake news is what quarterback stats are. Not really, but they are so convoluted, a lot of the statistics. I've given it before about the Teddy Bridgewater and touchdown passes, that if they had passed at the one-yard line instead of run, A handful of times, Teddy Bridgewater might have a 95 quarterback rating and 25 touchdowns and nine picks and all of a sudden look much better to the fantasy players, but instead they handed it to Adrian Peterson and he ended up with 11 touchdowns that year. That's just one example, but I think this goes even farther than that. With Case Keenum, QBR has him ranked as a top three quarterback so far this year. Pro Football Focus has him at 17th. Now, I think most of us would lean much more toward the truth, being that he's probably the 17th best quarterback this year. But can you explain the gap in those statistics?
1: Yeah, I think so. And I, I actually you know, like the effort you know, QBR you know, trying to re-engineer the, the quarterback rating just because I know that the one that, you know, that the, sort of the traditional one is outdated in some degree. Um, I, I think when you look at sort of what's valued um, for particularly air yards, um, Case Keenum is going to be higher on the list because you know he's throwing a lot of downfield passes to guys like Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. And while a lot of those passes have been accurate, a lot of those passes have been you know what we colloquially call fifty-fifty balls, which are really more like 15-85 percent passes. Um, but since the Vikings have probably the you know the best receiving duo in the league, uh, Keenum's getting a lot of those yards and. Um, yeah, that's really what's moving the Vikings' offense, and sort of QBR sort of assumes that those you know downfield yards are mostly the quarterback's doing. Um, he's going to get kind of a boost there. Whereas with PFF, you know, if he throws a you know pure jump ball, um, most of that positive grading is going to go to the receiver um, or against the defensive back, than it is going to go to the quarterback. And so maybe that's where you see a little bit of the discrepancy um, between where we have him with PFF um, and where QBR uh, has him.
0: Well, there are so many things that can throw these numbers off, and I'll I'll go back to touchdowns with Case Keenum that he throws a one-yard touchdown to David Morgan that was schemed brilliantly by Pat Shermer, and he drops it off, and then you know I see the NFL tweets out. Why would they uh, drop Case Keenum when he threw four touchdowns? Like, well, okay. I mean, he did throw it, but he threw it one yard. And then another touchdown was a screen pass where the guy ran for seven yards. And, I mean, it's not that he didn't do it. It's just that it can say something that isn't really accurate about how a quarterback played. That when you say, well, you know, he threw four touchdowns against Washington, he also threw passes that were interceptable. That didn't get picked off, and I think that that's where pro football focus can give us a little more accurate of of a view of a quarterback. Is that when he throws it to Josh Norman and he drops it, that QBR doesn't have a function to say, "Well, that should have been picked off." That really goes hard against him. They just would mark that down as an incomplete pass, and that's the end of the story.
1: Yep, and I also think you know, and, and this you've you've had Keen on. I think the last you know one of the last times and talks about context too right and i think when you look at pff you know what we can do is kind of add a little bit of context in there when we control for you know if a guy you know throws an interception but he's hit as he throws or something like that we do not chart that as an interceptable pass or if he throws a pass that's off the hands of a receiver and it's intercepted you know that that is not negated in our system for the quarterback um i know qbr has something in there with respect to drops and things like that so i'm not going to sort of Speak ill of that, but I think just kind of the the graininess of the the PFF stuff can kind of help there. Um, But context is is totally a part of this too, in that you know, Keenum's had an offensive line that's that's given up you know a relatively small number of sacks, a relatively small number of hits and hurries, um, especially if you compare that to what Bridgewater had to deal with in 2014 and 2015, especially 2015. Um, The receivers, you know, Adam Thielen was mostly a special teams player. Um, when Bridgewater was playing, um, and now he's like a, one of the best receivers in the league. Um, Stephon Diggs is, had some nice games in 2015, but was hurt kind of near the end of the season. Um, and the scheme, like you know, Pat Shermer, I think all of us would agree, is a far superior play caller at this point than Noah Turner was in 2015.
0: Uh, I think I would definitely agree with that. After, especially I'm doing uh, the film review right now, going back through uh, Sunday's game, and Pat Shermer is the MVP of this team. I mean, just the Washington playing a single high safety and finding ways to scheme guys open. At one point, Thielen gets a 38-yard catch against a linebacker. I mean, that might be as much of a criticism of Washington as it is a praise of Pat Shermer, but consistently finding ways uh, to, to have mismatches there. Now, I, I I would say this. I use QBR in this way, Eric. I look at it to try and get a snapshot of a single game from a guy whether he put up his big numbers in garbage time or whether he came through at a big time. But even that in a small sample, I I think over years and years of games, you would see patterns between who's consistently putting up above-average QBR numbers. It's 1 to 100, so that kind of helps you. I've made these charts before that take every game, and then you, you sort of put the good games in green and the bad, mediocre games in yellow and the bad games in red. And you can get a snapshot of how some quarterbacks have these big, great games and then these really terrible games. And then there are some quarterbacks that are often in the middle. And with Keenum, I think we've seen one great game from him and many games in the middle where if things went right, then you win like they did against Baltimore. You make a bunch of field goals. If things go wrong like they did against Detroit, where you get a couple fumbles, you lose. I think that's what you have with a backup quarterback and with Case Keenum. So when we kind of pull back uh, a lot of the layers of this, what we end up with is a sort of a typical backup quarterback. If a lot of things are going his way, he can have some success.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, that's fine. Right. I mean, players like Matt Moore and and players like Sean Hill and, um, and those types have have made really good careers out of that, out of that role. And, and, And I think with Keenum, you know you sort of know right like they they tried to roll with him in Houston for a year and that didn't work they tried to roll with him uh in Los Angeles for a year although his second stint kind of they had Goff behind him but i think it's clear that you know he's not a starting quarterback for whom you know the the there's there's sort of like this steadiness with respect to um outside forces right so tom brady has had years where you know his his best receivers were outside guys he's had years where his best receivers were tight ends. He's had years where his best receivers were slot guys. He's had years with good offensive lines, bad offensive lines. He's always sort of been good. You can say the same thing about Rodgers, the same thing um, about guys like Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, those kinds of things. And that's the kind of quarterback you obviously want because, you know, perturbations happen to teams all the time, right? The Vikings appear to be, you know, aside, they've had some injuries on the offensive line and, and at the running back position. But, for the most part, they've they've given Keenum a very good foundation to work with, and he's played fine. Um, I think in the future, right, if the Vikings are looking to be a Super Bowl contending team, that's not going to be sufficient, right? They need a person, you know, they need a player, you know, who if they're down by ten or it's third down and long, and they need to convert, they have to have somebody who I think is above league average in those situations. And I just don't know if Keenum is there. Um, in, the, in the long run
0: Well and, and that's where I wanted to go to next with you The Teddy Bridgewater statistics Because they have been Hotly debated uh, The offensive impact like you mentioned With some of those things Matt Khalil and TJ Clemmings are your starters Norv Turner is your offensive coordinator And it was a, an offense that Really leaned toward giving Adrian Peterson The ball a lot and also another part of it Is you know Jarek McKinnon this year Has been a big factor in the passing game Uh, But Adrian Peterson was not a big factor in that passing game because he just was not capable of really doing that. And so there were a lot of advantages maybe this year that quarterbacks Bradford when he played and Case Keenum have had over what Bridgewater had in 2015. So taking all of that into account, what do the stats tell us or, or I guess your read on on his numbers about how good of a quarterback he was then and possibly could be now if he returns to his old self?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So we re- we've been doing a little bit of studying in terms of like taking quarterback grade distributions and looking at what that means. And, you know, we've, we found, you know, situations for which quarterbacks are, you know, quarterback performance is stable um, and, and situations for which quarterback performance is not. And, you know, and I, I think I tweeted this out with, with Keenum, what you can see, and he was really good on Sunday when clean, so this might have changed, but before the game on Sunday, he basically had the same passer rating when kept clean in, um, in 2017 um, as he did in 2016, right? And mm-hmm. the difference was that his passer rating when under pressure was twice as high, um, you know, in, in this season than it was last season. And so – and what we found is that, you know, passer rating when when under pressure is about three times less stable per year than when clean. And then what's funny is on Sunday he had like a 137 passer rating when clean and a 12 passer rating when pressured, right? So that sort of like reverts, you know? Right. Um, and so you look at like a guy like Bridgewater in 2015, he faced pressure at the highest rate in the league. So 47% of his dropbacks were, were going to elicit plays where – Bridgewater is dealing with things that aren't stable, so those are data points that, like you know, we're, we're, we cling on as fans, right, and as media people and things like that. But they're not telling us; they're not the signal, right? They're the noise. And in twenty in twenty fourteen, it was about forty percent of his dropbacks, so and that was the fourth highest in the league. So when you pull that back, you look at only the plays where Teddy Bridgewater is kept clean. When he has a clean pocket, um, his you know he's he's in like in clusters with some of the better quarterbacks in the league. You're looking at, like, the Matt Ryans, the Russell Wilsons, and things like that on a throw-for-throw, grade-for-grade basis, which I think is really encouraging because the Vikings currently are doing a pretty good job of keeping their quarterback clean. So you are going to get more of that from Bridgewater than you are of the 2015 version. Um, I also think another stable statistic is third and long. So how, how a quarterback does when the defense is not – the defense doesn't have to worry about as much. And, and it's sort of Teddy versus the, the world, I guess. And on third and long, his yards per pass in 2014 were about a yard and a half higher than the league average. Mm-hmm. In 2015, is about a yard higher than the league average. If you look at just expected points, it's very similar, where he's got a very positive expected points added um, on third and long. The league average is about zero. Sam Bradford a season ago, for what it's worth, was a very negative expected points added on third and long. So I think there's a lot kind of in that sort of grainy part of the data that says that Teddy Bridgewater, there's, there's really something there. And I think if you kind of put that context into, into place, um, we might see, you know, some pretty special things from him, assuming he's healthy.
0: Yeah. And that's a big assumption. And one of the hardest things to figure out though, Mike Zimmer's, uh, the way he's talked and how he's sort of leaned toward eventually we're starting Bridgewater. I mean, it's between all the lines that maybe it might not be happening this week, but it's happening eventually. Uh, you know i think part of that must be what he sees in practice and he's only telling us a little bit about what he's seen for bridgewater in practice as would be the standard for nfl coaches to not tell you things but you would have to assume that if bridgewater was not moving around at all in practice that he'd be saying hey keenum's our guy we're going to keep winning he'd be going with that narrative if that were the case but he must be seeing a lot of things uh from bridgewater so so based on what you know about these two quarterbacks? Uh, when do you start Bridgewater? How good can they be? I mean, all these questions sort of come up, uh, but I, I think the biggest one is: Can they compete if Teddy Bridgewater was the same quarterback from 2015 with this offense, these advantages? Can they compete for a Super Bowl? I think that's the big question.
1: Yeah, and I think what's what's really nice this season is that the is that the NFC um, is a bit down in terms of like not having a team or two that no one can beat right so last season by the end of the season atlanta was one of those teams um you look at the nfc now you know dallas is a bit down atlanta's a bit down um new orleans you know has has risen up but the vikings have beaten them with the quarterback that played pretty well um you know carolina had you know has a pretty decent team but that's kind of an any given sunday type of type of bit with them uh, Philadelphia is good, but they have a second quarterback, you know, a second year quarterback, um, you know, and, and I think the Vikings would match up fine with them. So, yeah, I think, you know, with the Vikings defense being what it is and with Teddy Bridgewater, you know, in addition to everything we know about kind of how good he is on third and long and how, how, you know, how good he was when, when he clean, he also takes care of the football, which I think would be a benefit um, to, to the style of play they want to have with that good defense. Uh, yeah. I think anything's possible. I mean, it was only a couple years ago when they had a Seattle team that's very good uh, on the ropes, you know, in a playoff game, even with a stunted offense uh, led by Norv Turner and even in a game where I think Peterson averaged about a yard per carry, you know, and the Vikings had that team on the ropes. So um, I think, you know, tons of things have improved since then and, and thus, uh, you know, I think their chances are pretty good.
0: Before the Vikings are in the Super Bowl, uh, they have to beat the Los Angeles Rams of Los Angeles. And... uh <laughs> I hope, some, I hope maybe there's four baseball people who got the joke. The Anaheim Angels, <laughs> Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Anyway, whatever. Uh, how good are the Rams? Because I, what I've seen a lot of people talking about is their light schedule so far. And I am the biggest believer that schedule totally dictates what we think of a team, what we think of players, all those things at midseason. And even in one season, this can happen, but especially through an eight-game sample uh, we can all of a sudden think Case Keenum is a magical winner, when really you faced Mitch Trubisky, Brett Hundley, Deshaun Kaiser, Joe Flacco. Uh, but mm-hmm. they, it can really twist your worldview. So, um, what are we to think of the Rams? They're blowing people out.
1: Right. I mean, it's not their fault. Their schedule is what it is, and they're taking care of these teams, right? It's, you know, you look at like a team like Pittsburgh, and they're. They're, they're giving you know, Indianapolis a game, you know, Detroit a game, all those types of things. So you can't, you can't fault the Rams for sort of steamrolling the teams that they've played. They did struggle against uh, Seattle. They struggled against Washington. Um, and so there's some cause for concern. I mean, Jared Gossman, a fantastic story. I think our grades on him are a little bit uneven in terms of, you know, he had a good game against India, a bad game against Washington. Um, you know, he had a great game against the Giants, a little less so this past week um with uh, kind of his receivers doing a lot of the work on his plays but you know obviously his results are encouraging when he uses play action he's the second highest rated quarterback in the league um so you know todd Gurley and like kind of the scheme that they're putting in with their they, they use their tight ends pretty well and then robert woods has kind of been a revelation for them so um you know i think offensively they present a challenge i don't think it's insurmountable for the vikings defense especially if if they get uh everson griffin back um and, you know, defensively, I think that they're, they can be had to a degree. Um, Aaron Donald's probably the best football player in the league, um, and Michael Brockers next to him. They're going to present a challenge to Pat Alphine and Nick Easton and Joe Berger. But, um, you know, I think they, they can, you know, Jarek McKinnon out in space against Alcogel, he is I think a huge advantage for the Vikings. Um, and I don't think there's the corners, even though some of them have graded well. Um, I don't think their corners are going to be able to match up particularly well with the England. So uh, I think this is going to be a great game. I think, you know, if the Rams beat the Vikings and beat them convincingly, then I think that they're going to convince a lot more people that they're for real. Um, But there can also be this other side where they're kind of a little bit of fool's gold Mm -hmm. uh, and the Vikings, uh, you know, control them all game. So it'll be a really interesting one. I have a hard time gauging this so far.
0: Before I let you go, Eric, the pro football focus grade that is most interesting to you this year on the Minnesota Vikings roster?
1: Oh, yeah, that's that's a pretty good one. So, um, you know, the one to me is is, is Eric Hendricks. Um, I know that, so, you know, it seems like so Anthony Barr has gone from, like, a guy with a 90 grade to a 40 grade to a 90 grade again. It seems like Eric Hendricks looks a, a little bit weaker this year. Um, and I think a lot of that is, you know, teams are behind against the Vikings. They're having to throw a lot. Um, And I know, you know, Kendricks is allowed a little bit in coverage. Uh, He's also, you know, missed a few tackles. I think going into one of these weeks he was leading uh, his position group um, in missed tackles, and now he's third. So, you know, I just think, like, if they get him coming around, I think that will be fantastic. But, you know, that's another example where I think our PFF grades are not necessarily trying to tell you what we think of a player, it's sort of telling you, sort of like how he's performed during the course of the season. Right, and so you know, when we see when we see Eric Kendricks at a forty-nine uh, PFF grade, we don't like, we're not giving that grade to Madden, and they're like, you know, saying he's terrible. We're just saying, you know, he's been a little off this year, um, and and so I hope that that improves because I think, you know, Anthony Barr has played fantastic. I think they've used him really well. Um, if Kendricks can sort of be that second uh, linebacker for them, uh, you know, watch out.
0: Uh, mine, just for what stands out at this moment, is uh, Terrence Newman. The the fact that he has switched positions to the slot, he's 39 years old, and he <laughs> is going on his third straight above-average year by PFF metrics uh, since joining the Vikings. Uh, last year he's really good, but he moves inside. He's still having a very good year. And, uh, you know, if you look at football years like dog years, I think Terrence Newman is 111. So... I hope we all can do things like Terrence Newman at age 111. That's what I would say. Yeah, it
1: just shows you. It just shows you what how much thought and like and how much having the right having the right football brain can really do for a player mm-hmm. for sure. Because he was a player when he was drafted, fantastic athleticism, speed, and all that kind of stuff. And I can't imagine that's still there. But he's he's as I think you've said a few times he's got to have one of the best football brains out there
0: yeah yeah he's a he's a guy that mike zimmer has already said has a job on the coaching staff when he's done playing so it's it's that good uh for terrence newman all right well thank you eric you solved uh the the problem we don't have to talk about keenum or bridgewater ever again so i guess we'll just end it there (laughs) thank you uh obviously i'm kidding uh but uh, this is made for Uh, a pretty fun storyline i know some people are a little worn down on it now but it's one of the most interesting storylines in the nfl so we will continue covering it here on the purple podcast and uh, we thank you all for listening thank you eric for joining and we'll catch you next time